Our gospel reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. At that very time, there were some present who told him, meaning Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, lend it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uplifting, exciting passages today, huh? Um, Ones that really get your engine running to really dig in. I'm sure that many of you have heard this repentance sermon before. It always seems to be one that I found that um, many of the pastors that I looked up to and admired and watched always somehow seem to have a repentance sermon in their back pocket that they'd pull out, just, I guess, when they felt like the congregation needed to hear it. I had a tough time this week, and it could have been, you know, it was a busy week for me, but I had a tougher time writing this sermon than a lot of them because I could not stop thinking about this fig tree. Every time I got started looking at other passages, I'd start looking at commentaries, I would get started on my desk right now. There's about four or five starts of this sermon. I tried to like start someplace else, and then I couldn't stop thinking about this fig tree. So I just figured, okay, I give up. I'm going to preach about a fig tree today. I know, right? I should have. Just imagine a fig tree in your mind. Um, I, but this is the thing about Scripture. And, you know, there's a lot of times that I imagine it like a prism, right? And it turns and it turns. And sometimes, I think this is the gift of the lectionary, we get to rotate it multiple times. So one side of the prism this year is the fig tree, and we'll see what happens three years from now. But I, keep, I kept thinking... A three-year barren fig tree in a vineyard sounds like a really sad character in the Scripture. We don't know much about this fig tree, except that it's at least three years old. And I kept thinking about it. I tried to make friends with it this week, if I'm honest. And I kept wanting to ask it, this fig tree, why are you not bearing fruit? Like, what's your problem? You can't do what the owner is asking you to do. 
And so in this job, you find out that you start researching things that you never thought you would. And so did a lot of research on fig trees this week and found out that it can take anywhere from two to six years for a fig tree to bear fruit. And we don't know what kind it is, but at best, this tree has only had about a year to get to fruiting. Not a lot of time. And it could be another three years from this story that we hear that it will be bearing fruit. And moreover, as I have found out, people who cultivate fig trees don't always know exactly the time that they're going to fruit. It's not a consistent thing year after year. Sometimes the timing will change. So when the owner of the field, who doesn't seem to have any other particular investment outside of getting this fruit from the fig tree, so as not to spoil the soil, apparently, it's all a bit shocking for me in the scripture. And so I could not stop thinking about this poor little fig tree. And here's the thing. I can appreciate the economics of it. We all only have so much soil to work from. And if you've got a tree, if you've got a vegetable that's not bearing any fruit, at some point you have to make the gardener's decision. Do I tear it out and hope for next year? Or do I let it stick around a little longer? We only have so many resources, and we want to be able to use them well. And if I owned a large vineyard in biblical times, I probably would really want to maximize my return. So I can get it. But we have no sense in this passage of whether this fig tree was about to bloom or to bear fruit. So the cold weight for me of this heavy axe feels even heavier as the owner is suggesting it is time to take it down. I think there's also, for me, a particular tragedy in the potential of a fig tree to be so suddenly thrown to the side with the felling of an axe. This tree had been alive for at least three years, and in one snap decision, this owner can say, done, gone. As far as we can tell, it has done the very best it could. There's no indication in this passage that there was any disease or that it wasn't in a good place. We don't hear about the vineyards not doing well. We don't know anything else. So my best guess is that this tree is doing what it's supposed to do. And it could be killed like that. And the other tragic thing is I realized this fig tree does not know how it's being discussed. I mean, maybe. I don't know whether the tree's actually here, but my best guess is it's going, doing the thing it was meant to do, and it will not know until the first swing that it is going to die. And here is where the very toughest question for me this week hung. What wrong, truly, had the fig done to deserve its fate? What had the fig tree done to deserve a sudden 
and swift death. This is a piece of God's creation deemed good, doing mostly what it was supposed to do, and what causes it to deserve its fate so differently? Is it really only fruit? There's plenty of gorgeous trees out there that I will not be eating from this year. And some, like the two walnuts in my backyard, I could eat from, but Lord knows I'm not going to work that hard. It seems to be a real lamentable tragedy to lose life in the way that we see in the gospel today. Now, you might be wondering how all this connects to repentance. The title of the sermon is Reconciled to Repentance. You know, it's like, well, you're just spending 15 minutes talking about fig trees, Adam. That sounds great, but... um, And we've talked about the word repentance before. It's a Greek word that's often translated into repentance, and the word is metanoia. And I think sometimes that's one word that maybe we've heard somewhere at times. And it's not just um, uh, turning from sin, but really it is a wholehearted change of one's mind. This isn't just a, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. I've done some bad stuff, and now I'm not going to do some bad stuff. No, it is a wholesale change. It's more of a complete an entire reformation of who we are. So when Jesus says, repent, it's not like don't, you know, cut people off in traffic. It's make an entire change of who you are. And I think our instincts might cause us to think that the tragic moments in our lives might be the result of some lack of repentance in its most shallow sense. This whole like, well, I've been a bad person. I've done bad things. I haven't done the right things. I've chosen the bad path. And so because I've done these things wrong, other things may be happening to me. But that line of thinking no better answers the question of the Galileans that we hear about or the 18 crushed under the tower than it does why an owner would cut a fig tree only after a couple years or why any of the tragic things that continuously happen in this world continue to happen. If there hasn't anything been bad in the news, just give it time. To become buried in a series of he did, she did, I did, you did, so he deserves, she deserves, I deserve, you deserve, won't get us anywhere and honestly probably does us no better than yelling at our gardens at the top of our lungs, imploring them to grow a bounty. Fig tree, come on! You've sat there for three years. Our first repentance, then, is to have a change of mind, an entire reformation away from the blame that is so easy to be the first impulse. Because it won't get us anywhere. To blame a fig tree for not fruiting seems to be as foolish as to say that the wickedness that happens in this world is somehow our fault. Karma come to get back to us. And this is a real point Jesus makes very quickly. And you notice he doesn't spend a whole lot of time in this passage trying to debate that. No, instead, he turns the corner really quick into this parable. So where is repentance? 
then? What is being reconciled to repentance? What is the life change for the better that we can pull out of this passage this week? I think the first place we could point to, another one of characters, is the owner. The owner, after all, had foreclosed on the hope of this tree, had said, it is done. It had been given its chance, it was too far gone, and it was using too many resources. And what we hope for in this story, and perhaps our minds have already closed it out, is for a change of mind on the owner's part. We want the owner to be persuaded by the gardener and to graciously accept the offer to preserve the tree, and that the fig tree will ultimately be tended to. The problem is that our parable here remains all too open-ended. There is no resolution to this story. We don't know what happens to the gardener and the owner and the fig tree. The owner could say, you had your chance. This is what I pay you for. You could have done this last year. Cut it down. Or, what I always hoped for when I, listened, when I read this is, he's going to say, you know, you are so right. Let's give it one more year. We don't know. And so we're left with this open-ended conclusion that we can draw from ourselves. I don't know if the owner really gives us a whole lot of resolve about what does it mean to be reconciled to repentance, to have the changed mind. Instead, I think we can point to the gardener. It's been three years that this tree has been growing, but in this third year, with the promise of death, the gardener has a change of mind, decides this is the time I must intercede on behalf of this fig tree. Now, and this gardener won't just make a simple, won't do a couple pruning, just do some quick stuff, hopefully to get stuff going in that one year. No, the gardener will walk beside this tree for an entire series of seasons for one year and give it extra care. We'll dig around it. We'll provide extra nutrients in order to hope that it will thrive. So if one part of reconciling to repentance is to stop the blame, to stop thinking that every time something bad happens, it must equate some sort of reason that we haven't done our jobs, as if sin automatically equates some sort of evil thing happening, the next part might be to provide care to those who are in the process of bearing fruit. I think this ties a little bit into last week's sermon, where there are places where we would prefer to place blame. What if we instead focused on fertilizing the soil around them to see even folks within our congregation, perhaps every single one of you right now are fig trees just waiting to bloom and to fruit. Our godly laments bring forth our repentance, which moves into action. This isn't meant just to be something that we sit around and regret, but instead we just move forward. Keep in mind that in this, the gardener doesn't say, woe is me that I didn't take care of this tree for three years. Whatever am I going to do? Terrible day has fallen upon us. No, he just gets started taking care of the tree. And perhaps it's this reality of an, of, an un, of an unknown fate. 
should quicken our steps towards and not move against. This week, with two funerals, I have been acutely aware of the nearness of death. We don't know when the axe may fall. So instead of regretting, let's move forward. Where are the fig trees in our lives that look like they're ready to bloom, but maybe just need a little bit more help? Every single child that walks through this congregation is a fig tree waiting to fruit. Every single one of you here in these pews are fig trees waiting to fruit. When do we have the chance to be the gardeners to one another? So if we are to be reconciled to repentance, let's not think about the times when we need to flagellate ourselves on the back with the cat of nine tails because we've done something wrong, and instead let's make up our minds to do something better. To get out there with the shovels, pile the maneuver manure over the top of the trees, and keep waiting for them to grow. And so here in this Luke text, like any other, we leave ourselves with the open-ended story. Because we shouldn't forget the fact that it seems like Jesus himself has acted like a gardener in our lives. This journey of Lent, as we walk towards Easter, we are reminded that Jesus himself took on this role of gardener so that we could bear fruit. And so to be the gardener in this congregation and outside this congregation is a chance to imitate Christ. And so I want to take a moment just a minute or so, if you didn't have a chance before. And I want you to think about somebody who was a gardener in your life. Who was the person that saw you, saw the potential in you? Maybe you weren't as green and as blooming as you might be now. But who was the person that said, give me a year. I'll care for this tree. I'll give it extra waterings. Because the well and good is going to happen. The well and good is sitting right here today. And so I just want to take a moment before we continue in the service to give you a moment to think about the gardener in your life. When Miles starts playing, we'll we'll sing. But thanks be to God for the gardeners in this world who care for our ever-hopeful fig trees.